Section 26 of Charles II by Osmond Airy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 4 Charles, Louis, and Parliament. Part 5. In the Commons, evil counsellors once more formed the theme. Lauderdale, Buckingham, and Arlington were severally attacked, but on very different grounds. Lauderdale, a man so unprincipled and so arbitrary, was practically master of an army of twenty-two thousand men, and he had been heard to say in council, Your Majesty's edicts ought to be obeyed, for Your Majesty's edicts are equal with the laws, and ought to be observed in the first place. Aware of the impending blow, he had gone to Scotland with a pardon which covered all his offences, and there he received letters from both Charles and James, assuring him of safety and of their personal affection. The reply of Charles to the address which was carried against Lauderdale is not on record. It probably was the same as to that against Buckingham, that he would take it into his consideration. The attack upon Buckingham was virtually upon other than political matters, although they figured in the accusation. He had succeeded, incredible as it may appear, in outraging the public moral sense. The House of Lords was entertained with a petition against the Duke of Buckingham and my Lady Shrewsbury, setting forth the killing of the late Earl of Shrewsbury, their open and scandalous way of living together, and the public internment of their bastard child in Westminster as Earl of Coventry and in the commons even more heinous crimes were laid to his charge upon the political matters buckingham defended himself with characteristic impudence he threw all the blame upon arlington whom he still longed to ruin and with obvious reference to charles and james asserted that hunting was a good diversion but if a man would hunt with a brace of lobsters he would have but ill sport in anticipation of this attack he had so personally courted all the members in town, the debauchees by drinking with them, the sober by grave and serious discourses, the pious by receiving the sacrament at Westminster, that he believed himself safe. He was twice at church on Christmas Day and received the sacrament, a fact from which knowing people like Titus were sure that Parliament would meet as arranged since he would never have taken the trouble to do this except to conciliate opinion to the lords he later made a very submissive recantation acknowledging the miserable and lewd life he had led and although it was a very heavy burden to lie under the displeasure of the house and the sense of his transgressions yet he hath reason to give god thanks for it since it had opened his eyes and discovered to him the foulness of his past life which he was resolved for the future to amend. He had previously become a great convert, and to give a public testimony of it, he went with his own lady to St. Martin's to church in the afternoon on Sunday last. He had not indeed left all to the chances of the lords relenting on the merits of the case, or to their appreciation of his penitence. In the meantime his grace and my lord Shaftesbury are reconciled and both labour hard to get him fairly quit of my lady shrewsbury's business 
Shaftesbury was never very scrupulous as to the recruits he obtained to help in political schemes. Having disposed of Buckingham and Lauderdale, the Commons next turned upon Arlington as the great conduit pipe of all the previous misdoings of the government. His defence, however, was so able, his friends so numerous and earnest, and the credit which he had gained from the knowledge that he was supporting Monmouth against James so great that he secured a majority. It was at this point that Charles announced that terms had been offered him by the Dutch, which he could accept, and expressed his confident expectation of a generous supply. He trusted that having cast this bone before Parliament, he should now find them compliant. He found instead that those who thought the French alliance a grievance do now think a peace, nay, a separate peace, to be the greater grievance. Not a farthing would the commons give, since fear of the duke makes them every day fetter the crown, and it was evident that distrust had gone so far that it was hopeless to expect any change of temper for the present. To obtain immediate relief from annoyance, Charles again used the constitutional weapon of prerogative with telling effect. I never saw such consternation as was among the members of both houses, every man amazed and reproaching one another that they had sat so long upon eggs and could hatch nothing. A fear of the king's personal vengeance was added to the disappointment of the country party. It caused many of the guilty commons who had bespoken a large dinner for that day at the Swan Tavern in King Street to leave their provisions to Mr. Dodd and his wife and to haste away, some by coach, some by water, into the city, suspecting themselves insecure in the suburbs. Louis remained Charles's only source of funds. That monarch had been forced to relinquish his enterprise against the Republic without having wrung from her a single concession. But he was now facing the formidable coalition arrayed against him with splendid success. To gratify him, Charles coldly declined the offer of a second visit from William. He went still farther. In spite of the anger caused by the last prorogation, he determined on a fourth. To eliminate as far as possible all sources of embarrassment, he had forced Arlington, who knew too much, to sell his secretaryship to Sir Joseph Williamson, while Buckingham had been thrown over on the ground of the late vote of the Commons, although soon restored to favour by Nelly, Middlesex, Rochester, and the Merry Gang. Concealing his intentions even from Danby to the last moment, Charles announced to his silent and astounded council that Parliament would not meet for business until April 1675. For this he received from Louis 500,000 crowns. Meanwhile, it occurred to him that he might retain the friendship of both Louis and William by inducing the prince to accept the French monarch's terms and by reviving at the same time the scheme of marrying him to Mary, the eldest daughter of James. But peace was found impossible upon William's conditions, and as for the marriage, it was this time William's turn for declining the offer. Another child was about to be born to James, and if this were a boy, the eventual advantages to William of such a marriage would be slight, 
while he was urged by his friends in england to avoid an association with the duke which must weaken his connection with them it was probably this rejection at william's hands which accounted for the extreme ill-humour displayed by charles at the time his bewilderment is forcibly shown in his being closeted for hours at a time in the morning with arlington and in the afternoon of the same day with james danby and lauderdale by whom arlington as monmouth's adherent was bitterly hated in this dubious state of affairs the approaching meeting of parliament excited the attention of all europe for upon its success or failure to force charles to an anti-french policy would probably depend the issue of that year's campaign for a while it was doubtful whether it would meet at all for louis had promised charles another subsidy for dissolution or a year's delay and king says he had rather be a poor king than no king but here danby had his way he was sincerely opposed to the influence of france he had shaped a bold policy of his own which might checkmate shaftesbury and arlington a return namely to the ideas of clarendon a cordial union of royalism and anglicanism against all forms of nonconformity and limitation of the constitutional prerogative he had induced charles to make a complete change of front by publishing a fresh body of edicts framed in conference with the bishops at lambeth enforcing the penal laws and by profuse bribery he had bought up the votes of so many members of the commons that he was sanguine of a large supply clifford the first systematic briber had proceeded on the principle of corrupting the influential men danby found that the same money would purchase a larger number of votes if spent on the more obscure members and at least two hundred of these had good reasons for supporting the government you were not against me to-day said charles to one of these no sir i was against my conscience to-day was the reply charles yielded to danby's insistence the only promise he would give louis was to dissolve parliament should it prove too aggressive louis in turn fell back upon bribery of the commons and it was now that parliament justly earned the name of pensionary english french spanish and dutch money jingled in the same pockets rouvigny had ten thousand pounds for direct bribery with a large sum for a lavish table c'est un sale trafic was his disgusted comment the spanish ambassador came with full hands van berningen took a house in westminster and exercised splendid hospitality in william's interests and the danish resident had a grant from the republic for the same object the shaftesbury opposition was equally ready their leader following the modern practice had sounded the immediate note of attack in a letter to lord carlisle danby was to be overthrown and a dissolution forced upon the king danby had meanwhile been trying to put the finances into a decent condition when these were searched into it appeared that every year since the king came in he had exceeded his constant revenue by a million of money except one year that it was but half so much danby insisted that the fleet should be paid off and that all salaries and pensions should meanwhile be stopped 
the clamour that arose among the pensioners might have driven even a bolder man to pause the scare of a fresh stop of the exchequer caused a rush upon the bankers and destroyed all credit in the city anglesey swore he knew not how to go to market keeper grumbled as much as any and arlington who had not then lost the secretaryship took it ill his private intelligence money should not be reckoned upon as an indispensable thing but danby had taken care to be safe in one quarter where opposition would have been really serious the duchess of portsmouth had bought a pearl necklace for eight thousand pounds from a merchant and a pair of diamond pendants for three thousand guineas from lady northumberland but neither merchant nor peeress would part with their jewels until the price were paid between the minister in need of support and the mistress in need of money it was easy to form the alliance which was suggested by charles and thus is explained the sudden coalition between them which so puzzled people at the time the only condition made by danby was that the money should be raised in ireland and charles readily agreed to this farther spoliation of the poorer and more helpless country danby's economic measures were soon successful by september fifteenth sixteen seventy four he had brought the public expenses to ten thousand pounds a week below the revenue so that probably parliament will not sit he was of course careful to feather his own nest laying about him and providing for his family so that if ever he came to be out with the king his enemies will maul him one episode of the understanding between danby and louise de Kirouai deserves record as illustrating the graver anxieties of the king louise was anxious to obtain the dukedom of richmond for her son while at the same time the duchess of cleveland hoped for that of grafton for hers the question of precedence depended of course upon the date of creation and the very foundations of charles's peace were shaken in the contest he weakly proposed to make the creations at the same moment louise however was not inclined to compromise she forced danby to receive her agent at midnight as he was in the act of stepping into his carriage for bath and her son's patent was sealed before he set out the billingsgate fury of the elder woman may be imagined when she appeared at danby's office as early as possible next morning and found herself thus cleverly jockeyed but even louise had her troubles in the spring of sixteen seventy four france was deprived of her good offices by an illness of a nature not exactly indicated by the chroniclers and pursued by the frank laughter of nelly gwynne she was obliged to visit tunbridge wells for a cure even there she was not secure from annoyance for when she haughtily complained that the marchioness of worcester although of inferior rank had occupied the house which she had wanted that great dame reminded her that titles gained by prostitution were not yet regarded in england as valid all that charles could do to soothe the injured pride of his mistress he did he gave her large presents of money and jewellery sent an escort of guards to bring her in pomp to windsor and placed her in the hands of his own physician while the situation political and domestic had been thus troubled the court seethed with personal jealousies and intrigues as in sick bodies so in sick governments change is desired king sticks very close to arlington 
who hath a fair game to play. I fear treasurer will not be able to play his part with any success. Arlington had a cruel dispute with Anglesey yesterday and told him that he was a knave, which was too true. Ranela and Bridgman are laying a plot to divide Arlington and Essex. Ranela is very well with the king and governs treasurer absolutely. And I think it is Essex, his interest, to keep up the dispute and animosity between Ranela and Ormond. By May 1674, Treasurer is esteemed the great support of the Crown. Arlington makes his interest among the discontented members of the House of Commons, and Duke and Lauderdale are his mortal enemies. Keeper is now as ill with Arlington as any of the rest. An English title was conferred upon Lauderdale in June in order that he might be qualified for the privilege of being tried as a peer if the need should arise. Williamson, who was a mere cipher in the government, the poor fool, Savile calls him, is struck in with Treasurer and Lauderdale, or makes them believe so, and that he will abandon Arlington, toward whom the Duke is implacable. He is a creature of Lauderdale's, as he was before of Clifford. Essex, who was not afraid to say that he did not desire the friendship of the Duchess of Portsmouth, or any of that sort, was safe in his viceroyalty of Ireland when there was a prospect of Parliament, but at the mercy of men like Orrery and Ranella at other times, although the king was severe upon their dirty tricks. In July, the Duke governs absolutely, and I think my Lord Treasurer and Duke of Lauderdale derive all their favour from his countenance and will signify no longer than they are subservient to his design. In September, Duke treasurer lauderdale govern all williamson though now secretary was kept waiting more than two hours before being admitted to danby's presence keeper acts fearfully and warily lauderdale brags like a madman at the end of the month there is a great feud between york and monmouth the whole court backs monmouth and arlington hath wisely made him head the party which will give him credit now and in parliament in December, it is wonderful to see how bold Treasurer is in making enemies, depending wholly on his credit with King, which all people wonder at, he having seen so many effects of King, his inconstancy. If France sink, Arlington will be too hard for them all. Duke, Treasurer, and Lauderdale are all very busy to persuade King to dissolve this Parliament and call another, but King is fearful. By January 23rd, 1675, Duke has given over railing at Arlington, which makes men think that King will not abandon him to Duke. In November we have a frank criticism of Charles himself. Everybody clamors against him extremely for his difficulty of access, and indeed his Buckingham hours are insufferable and destroy his health, like master, like man. On Sunday night last, King being at supper at Treasurer's, Harry Savile being very drunk, fell so foully on Lord Mulgrave that King commanded Savile to be gone out of his presence. But Danby hath greater credit with the King than any man ever had, although in open defiance to the whole kingdom. Through the influence of Louise de Kerouaille, and as one condition of the compact between them, 
his eldest son lord latimer was admitted to the bedchamber and it's wonderful to see his good fortune in the marriage of his children and setting his family in order while his lady drives a secret trade of taking bribes for good offices and not without my lord's knowledge and over it all was waiting the nemesis of vice four years later latimer and his wife were both dead from the results of debauchery while lord dunblane the second son a mere boy was sent to france to be cured of the same disease insomuch that their mother passionately wished herself lady osborne again and in the same condition wherein she was in yorkshire seven years ago End of section 26